Hey, everybody, we'd like to give a special shout out to our podcast sponsor, Rack Getter Sense and Lures. Like Hunt, Lift, Eat, Rack Getter Sense is a veteran-owned and operated company with a personal touch. Gerard, their owner, is a former Marine and firefighter who will walk you step-by-step through the buy-in process with a personal touch. I reached out to him and he gave me his personal cell phone number and walked me through his products and the buying experience could not have been more efficient. My favorite product of his is the Hot to Trot Dough and Heat Scent and I use it religiously through the rut with consistent results. Many of our Hunt, Lift, Eat team members are loyal customers of Rack Getter Scents and Lures and we use his products year after year to help them execute in the field. Follow them on their Instagram at RackGetterSense2.0 and check out their products at RackGetterSense.net to start luring in your next big buck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Hunt, Lift, Eat podcast. I'm your host tonight, Carter McKenzie, back in the saddle with the one and only Perry. What's going on, Perry? Not much, brother. Good to, good to be back. It's been a, been a minute since we chatted and excited for tonight's conversation with our guest. It has been a hot minute, man, and uh, you and I used to talk a lot more frequently. We haven't caught up in a minute, man. No, we haven't. We there's we've uh, we've each had a few adventures this year that we're gonna have to have to recap here one of these days. But man, you and Bobby have been running the show around here, and y'all been crushing it. So I've, I've been enjoying just kind of sitting back and, and seeing y'all do your thing. It's been cool to see. Trying, man. the uh, The strategy was to bank as many podcasts as possible in the fall in preparation for this kid that my wife just had two weeks ago. Yep. Because now I don't know what day it is. I don't know what time it is. I don't know what sleep looks like anymore. I don't know. I, I'm living in the twilight zone, brother. You always hear about mom brain, but man, dad braids a thing too. Like that, <laughs> it, it affects the dads too. And uh, you got, you got two running around now under the age yeah. of what, you know, three, that, that'll take a toll. So I get for it. For sure, man. For sure. But let's uh, let's jump into it tonight, man. Um, we got uh, Austin Stone joining us tonight, uh, owner and operator of Tactical Approach Outdoors. Um, Austin, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk to you tonight. Heck yeah, man. Uh, we were just talking before we mass record, Austin. Your your content got brought to me via the TikTok al- algorithm gods and it landed on my page and i i saw one of your videos and i was like no way like this is super cool i, I, I need to look into this um and then found you on instagram and and searched you up and you know you and i got talking uh last week and uh i was thinking dude where have you been the last five years of my life like what you're doing is super cool I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I was super pumped when I saw your message come through. You know, I had uh, a video um, hit pretty hard on TikTok. Like the same day you reached out, it had to be that video. And and that evening I was jumping on the Okayist Hunter podcast as well. So like, yeah, that's, that's a pretty good day. <laughs> yeah, man, not bad for a tactical approach. That's awesome, man. Not bad at all. <clears throat> Austin, why don't you give us kind of a quick rundown on on what it is that you do with regards to Tactical Approach Outdoors. So Tactical Approach Outdoors is a deer hunter education company. Personally, I'm a public land hunter. been hunting public land my entire life, and that's all I know. So, you know, it's a do-with-what-you've-got kind of approach to the property. You know, I've never had a lot of highly managed ground that I was able to to hunt. So, um, I got to talking to a lot, a lot of people throughout the years and realized that there is a, uh, 
little bit of an education gap, but there's a lot of adults that did not grow up with deer hunting like I did. You know, I had my dad get me started young and a lot of us who are deer hunters, we had that available to us. We had that mentor early on and there's a lot of adult onset deer hunters out there that are looking to shorten that learning curve a little bit and, and find ways to see success, you know, not, not only on bigger bucks, obviously it's just what all of us want and are looking for eventually, but just success on seeing more deer, you know, and, and deer hunting, we, we take it for granted sometimes some of the, because we just know what to look for. We've learned it throughout the years, but you know, it could be kind of a daunting task at the very beginning that we kind of forget, you know, 20 years down the road, we forget what it was like to be that, that first three to five years of, of deer hunting. So I built this, this business centered around adults looking to not only get into deer hunting as beginners, but also see more success, you know, so I wanted to reach more into the intermediate levels as well. And I built an online deer hunter academy, which covers everything that you need to know. I also built some virtual mentoring, which I thought would be very handy for adults. You know, you've got families and, and you've got your work obligations and all. And I tried to center it as, as best I could for folks that have that family and work obligation that still want to see the success, you know, in, in the woods. So I built as much virtual as I could. And, um, also I, I do, um, have consulting services, which is exactly centered around, um, kind of a do with what you've got approach to your property with some habitat management as well, sprinkled on in there, kind of hunting your land more efficiently. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's what I saw on TikTok. You're, you're, I think you said like, you know, I'll come put boots on the ground on your piece of dirt on your soil. And, uh, you know, we're, I will look at it from my point of view and then offer like my, you know, perspective on, Hey, this is how I think you should hunt. This This is, this is how I think, you know, things could change or where, you know, so on and so forth with a myriad of different uh, things that you can adapt and, and implement, I guess, to uh, maybe have a, a fresh set of eyes on a property. Yeah. And, and one of the biggest things that I've always been interested in, this goes back to my instructing as well, because I'm a personal trainer, you know, for my day job and why the why behind something is really big to me. That's very important. And I know for me, it has made a big difference in my understanding and overall um, um, progress, you know, not only as a deer hunter, but, you know, through fitness and through my career and everything like that. So I wanted to not, I didn't just want to present information that's easy to consume, but leaves out the, the really nitty gritty details and the why behind it. So the, the consulting service, you know, yeah, I'll come out and put boots on the ground and, and I'll talk with you. And that really is just part of it. The, the most, the meat and potatoes of it really comes into the plan that goes behind it. You know, don't just hunt this tree, but this is when to hunt it. This is why to hunt it. And this is how often to hunt it. 
you know, like a hunting pressure audit and, you know, what kind of wind direction do you need to be thinking about hunting? And then two is like, what's the reasoning behind this particular stand? Is this a food plot stand or is this a bedding area community scrape? You're, you're in the thick of it kind of, of stand, you know, and those two, they need to be hunted completely different. So that, that's what I want to present, you know, to my clients is not just help them, you know, maybe see a different movement pattern on their property, just from a fresh set of eyes, but also, you know, what's the reasoning behind, instead of sitting this tree stand that you've been sitting the last 10 years, maybe sit this tree stand instead, and then sit it at this time you know, with this specific day during, you know, during the, the pre-rut or, or actually during the rut. And you should see the success on that buck that you'd be getting on camera. Yeah. I think, I think it's fascinating how you've taken this, this, um, approach of having all these years of hunting public land where you're not doing, you know, individualized, uh, habitat management plans for, for, you know, your own piece of property, but you're, you're basically, you know, you're, you're dealing with the cards that, that you have on, on that public piece, whether it be the, you know, the, the terrain, the, the food sources, the cover, uh, the other hunters, you're taking all of that, that wealth of knowledge that you've accumulated over the years and then applying that to, you know, someone's, someone's personal property, like Carter said, to get that fresh set of, of eyes. I, I think that's really interesting. You know, so much of the, of the, uh, the hunting media that we see, you know, it's like, it's either that, that manicured, you know, private farm where they're killing 180 inch deer, you know, it seems like every other day, or, you know, there's, there's a ton of great content out there now with, with guys that are getting out there and getting after it on public land. But, you know, that's, it's kind of two sides of the coin. And it seems like you've kind of, you know, found that, that middle edge there. And I, I think that's really interesting. And I think that's something that as an industry we have left out a little bit is there's a lot of a middle ground that gets left off. Cause like you said, it seems like you go to one extreme or the other where it's like you either have no private land and you're only a public land hunter or the only private, li- the private land that you have is super manicured. And, and like you said, you, you know, you've got just monsters and giants on a regular ba- basis. And we, we tend to forget that there's a very large part of the hunting industry that actually is that middle ground, you know, that hunts maybe a, a combination of private and public, or they've got, you know, a big family farm that they've hunted forever or a lease, you know, maybe they're not even allowed to do any kind of habitat improvements on the property, but yet they still want to see the success. You, You know what I mean? So th- th- there's a big, there's a big group out there that of them that are kind of other bunch of deer hunters out there that this can cover for sure. Well, and, yeah. and you're, t- you're talking to, I mean, you're talking to me and Carter yeah. right now because <laughs> we, both we of us are that middle ground. Exactly. Yeah. yeah you just yeah. described our, our situations. We both have some private, you know, private land that we can hunt on, whether it be, you know, our land or family land or, or permission pieces. Um, and we also both, you know, hunt public land for, for me, I know I grew up hunting on a, on that family farm, that typical family farm where, you know, I thought I had it all figured out my entire life. And, and then in recent years, I've, I've kind of, you know, delved out into the, the public land arena and, and it, you know, humbles you a bit. And, and it, it's honestly made me 
kind of changed the way I look at my own piece of property. It's given me a, that fresh perspective. And so I mm-hmm. think there's a, I think, you know, as you said, there's a real, there's a real need for that, that type of um, information in the, in the quote unquote industry. Yeah, a- absolutely. And that's, that's a big reason I wanted to, to build this company. And, you know, and also we look, look at, you know, adult onset hunters. I feel like they're also kind of a, a mid- middle ground in the industry that's starting to get touched on now. But um, a lot of the information that has been presented to, to us throughout the years, is either you're a youth or you're super advanced, you know, that there hasn't been a lot of that middle ground and um and we do like i said take a take for granted what we have had throughout the years to help us get get started and we forget that others don't want to do that and and the way i look at it is you know why why are they not you know maybe i wouldn't say allow but why, why would that be a reason to keep folks out of the industry it's just because you're starting at 30 rather than starting at 10, you know, there's no reason that that person should be, you know, steps behind, you know, us, the, the rest of us that want to, they just want to put some meat in the freezer and enjoy the woods just like we do. And, you know, that there's a lot of folks out, out there and that's a bit, you know, the hunting industry, we need numbers as well, you know, just to keep our, our rights and to keep the, everything chugging along like we, like we've had. So yeah, that's huge. And I think like, that's when I knew I was like, oh, like, I'm going to get along with this guy because your vision and your drive for what you're doing. Actually, I knew it as soon as you said you're a personal trainer as well. I was like, oh, well, no shit. Hunt, lift, eat. This works perfectly, right? <laughs> Where, uh, you know, we work out so that we can be more effective in the woods, right? Um, but it actually told me that you have a passion for education. You have a passion for teaching, right? and training, right? And and I'm a high school teacher. And I was like, oh, we are of the same mind. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in the profession that you're in. And when I read on your website, like in all caps, you have that word why, right? And I think that's really important. You're not just coming out here and telling folks like, hey, this is what I would do. Here's my proposal. Um, You know, see you later, right? You're teaching, you're explaining the reasoning why and there's there's so much right hunting can be as complicated as we want it to be because no one will ever have a hundred percent grasp on it right and yep. understanding that why from somebody who has more experience is worth its weight in gold and that's why i love what you're doing man because you're spreading that education from a like positive point of view right not just like i'm here to make money but like you have a genuine interest in teaching people yeah. And, and you know, that that's the same way, you know, with my fitness is I don't just want to take you through the super strict, you know, crazy program to get you shredded and then send you on your way and say, good luck. You know what I mean? Like I, I truly want to help people, you know, see lasting success, you know, and find a, a lifestyle is re- really what it's all about, you know, and that goes the same, our hunting, it's a lifestyle and, and, you know, the why behind it is when you truly start to grasp the, and understand what's going on, you know, not, don't just, 
sit here because you know I say it would be be a good spot, but there's there's so much more reasoning behind why I think that's a good spot. You know, what's the sign? What's the bedding cut cover? What are their main movement patterns and the food sources? You know, is it a giant white oak that's got a massive community scrape that's has bedding cover adjacent to it? You know, what's and if that's the case, you know, what wind should, should you hunt it on? And, um, and just that the list really kind of goes on to where you can truly grasp that. So you can take that plan and, you know, talk with me, me about it and create a better understanding on your parcel and then take that same knowledge to another parcel or take it to even public land and, and hunt in that same kind of manner and then start building your own tactics that fit your, you know, lifestyle and your time allowed to hunt, um, the type of things you like to do. And, and, you know, are you more of a ground hunter? You more of a saddle hunter, you know, what's the, the difference in your style of hunting and, and so on. That's kind of what I want to do is I want to help to shorten the learning curve and kind of put people around on the right track and, and then let them kind of figure out what works for them past that and that's the same thing i do you know with with fitness and it's all about the education just helping to put people on the right track i give you the blueprint and then you can take it and do and run with it yeah and i think in hunting we can be our own worst enemy sometimes and there can be uh some you know gatekeeping of information or you know, not as willing to share all the details. Sometimes that's with your neighbor. Sometimes you have a great relationship with your neighbor. Sometimes me and that guy right there, we hunt the same bucks every single year. Right. And he's got the one I was chasing for three years, hanging on his living room wall. And, uh, you know, you're all about lowering that barrier and, and kind of not withholding information. Um, and, and just genuinely, helping people be better hunters. And I feel like that's been a big issue in the industry for, for a long time is we've had this kind of ego driven yeah. mindset with, with amongst the industry and it's, it creates a toxic environment in the industry. And honestly, if, if you were on the outside looking in, look into the, the comments between hunter-to-hunter interactions on, on the internet and tell me that there's a new hunter looking at that. It's like, man, I don't know that I want to get into that. Yeah. It's like, that looks like a mess. Yeah. You know, so that, that's, and that's on us as deer hunters. That's on us that, that we're creating that toxic environment. And, and it really, it, it showed itself, you know, I'm going to bring that TikTok video back up, you know, and you're going to have negativity no matter what, but like, it really kind of shows itself that that's like, like you said, you got gatekeepers or, you know, a bunch of comments like, man, if I had to ha- pay somebody to do this to my property, I'm just going to quit hunting. Right. You know, or, or like, or like if you can't scout your own stuff, you know, you shouldn't be hunting. And I'm like that attitude though is like you you started somewhere too you know you forgot that you started somewhere and you and someone showed you what to do you know what i mean like we for so many people forget that they started somewhere also and and everybody's at different stages in their hunting career and and we've got to just help the next person 
you know, up. And that's how we can keep growing too, is by learning the people that are more knowledgeable that, than us. And if you get to the point that, hey, you have the know-it-all, I am the dude mindset, that's when you, that's when you stop progressing yeah. in my mind. It, it's funny. That reminds me of, of a, a story that something actually that happened um, relatively recently. I think it was early, early season this year. My cousin, uh, my little cousin sent me a picture. He was out on, on our family farm one day and he sent me a picture one day and um, he goes, check out this massive scrape. And he sent me a picture of a, of a tree that was, you know, shredded. And uh, I was like, and it was funny because it was actually a dead pine tree and it hadn't even, it wasn't even a rub. It was just a dead pine tree and the bark had sloughed off, you know, at, a, at approximately the height that a buck would rub it. And I was like, well, first off, of course, he's my little cousin. So like I had to make fun of him a little bit. Like this is not some stranger on the internet, but still yeah. I was like, you know, first off, this is, you know, this is a, a rub. This would, this looks like a rub and not a scrape. Um, there is a difference. And then I, I explained to him the difference of, of, you know, what a, what a rub versus a scrape is. And two, that that tree just died and it wasn't actually rubbed on by a deer, but it's like, you know, in his, in his mind, he was out there scouting the property. Right. But it's like, how do you even scout if you don't know the difference between a, a rub and a scrape? And that's something that I took for granted because I just assumed he knew that and made fun of him because I thought he assumed he knew that, but I wouldn't, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't assume that, that your average new hunter would, would know that difference and would know, you know, how to scout. And so it's like, how can you say that you, you should be able to go just scout any property if you don't even know what you're looking for in, in the first place? And, and that, that, you know, there's other co comments that they're saying, you know, it's like finding deer. There's nothing special that that's not difficult. And, and, you know, it's like kindergarten stuff, right? That's basically word for word. And I'm like, you know, there's new hunters that are going to be reading that. Like, I don't care what, what, what you say to me, like that doesn't matter, but like there's new hunters that are going to be reading that. And then, you know, you're really going to take a shot to them. You know, when you, when they're reading stuff like this, that they get to thinking, man, what am I doing? Like, am I even, should I even be doing this kind of attitude? Like, no, you need keep at it. You know what I mean? We should be, we should be picking them up and, and not be the reason that someone quits hunting. You know, I mean, same thing with fitness. That's not be the reason someone quits that their fitness journey after they joined the gym, you know, January 1st, Exactly. you know, be, be, be the re reason someone continues go going and enjoys it more. Yeah. Yeah. That approachability is really important. And, you know, hunt lift for example, like on our, on our team, we have brand new novice hunters who had never still have never killed, uh, their first big game animal this season was, two in particular their first season one grinded it out the entire season they're hunting in new jersey uh public and just getting their butts kicked and it's tough right and uh like you don't want those people to become discouraged from any nonsense especially nonsense on the internet like people spouting oh, yeah. off like those dudes who those dudes who are spouting all that stuff off probably shoot the first you know spiker they see and then they're done right like it's oh, not yeah, like they're, they're, they're not out there finding 170 inches on public you know what i mean like those yeah. are not the guys you want to listen to but sometimes those are the loudest voices that can be really discouraging to new people and that, that's the thing you know like those of us that have been in the industry you know we we know just to 
you know, let laugh at those folks that, that are loud. But, you know, if you're new to something, the loud voice gets heard sometimes. And that, that's what we have to be so, so careful of is, is not letting is, and you hope that, that new folks don't take too much stock into that as they, they, they read stuff like that on the internet and don't get discouraged. So when you're um, to, to pivot away from, from, you know, the, the loud voices <laughs> in the room, um, I, because I, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, uh, I'm a bit of a habitat nerd uh, myself. I love, I'm a, I'm a studied wildlife and forestry in school and, and, you know, um, I can, I can geek out on, on habitat management. When you, you, you say you spent, you know, most of your, your life hunting public land, um, growing up, did you have any access to private? Did you do any, any type of habitat work on, on private property? Or did you just, did you just identify that there's, you know, kind of a, a different, um, perspective that could be, you know, given to, to private landowners from all those years of public hunting? You know, I've had some experience with, with doing some work and, and, you know, I'd be sitting here and lot lie to you if I told you, you know, I set up and completely built some crazy, you know, property that I spent tens of thousands of dollars on to create, you know, food plots and, and what, what not. But, um, it's mostly taken a new perspective, you know what I mean? And, um, putting into effect maybe some simple habitat improvements just to improve and um, enrich your your property just a li- little bit more. You know what I mean? And that, that's predominantly what I'm taking into this consulting ser- service. And, and obviously there's so much more that, that we can do with habitat improvement. You know, it depends on how much money and time you want to stay, stick into it. But for, for the m- most part, you know, I'm taking a, a totally different perspective into, into this service and a look at, at the land. Well, and Perry, you and I have talked about this before. You know, deer conservation happens on private land here in the South. Mm-hmm. That's where it, it has to take place because that's where this may be BS. But I think I've heard you say this before, Perry, it's 90%. Of the land, I think. Yeah, is, I think there's private. some. Yeah, I think there's some states where it where it's actually even a little bit higher than that. I, and I don't know what the average is for the southeast, but it's you know it's the vast majority. Um, it, it's probably somewhere in that ninety percent ballpark is is you know private landowners and and you know that's where it to your point that's where the conservation happens and and that's where if you have a bunch of different landowners you know that that are um, interested in in this you know, the long-term future of, of the thing that we are all you know, talking about that we love so much, then those small incremental changes can actually, you know, make big differences. hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's in, and that's the thing, you know, we, we need to keep working towards, you know, improving our envi- environment and improving our habitat. You know, there's a lot of the issues that we have with population is due to you know poor habitat management all around so the, it is you know each landowner you can do a little bit you know what i mean you don't have to do if you don't have the ability to do a, a ton you could always do something to keep pushing towards that direction well and it, and if you if you are if you have you know positive you know recruitment and retention numbers as 
you know, for deer hunters, then inevitably, you know, you're going to have people that are interested in purchasing land for hunting <laughs> that might not have otherwise. And you might have that 30 year, you know, that 30 year old adult onset hunter, um, you know, that takes one of your, your virtual courses and, you know, falls in love with, with hunting deer in, you know, in Georgia or in Missouri or wherever. And, you know, never had any interest in going out and buying a, a 30 acre, you know, piece of dirt, but, you know, they spend a few years, they learn some, they learn some things and all of a sudden they, they find themselves on, on whitetail properties looking at land. Um, I mean, these things happen. It is. And it's all, you know, creating that, that positive environment and, you know, doing your part to help folks take that next step. Yeah, it's really cool. I keep thinking about Perry and I's individual situations here. We've talked ad nauseum over the past couple of years since we've known each other about habitat management for deer. Like me specifically here at my house in Georgia, I have a small seven acre property and Perry, they have a big family farm, several hundred acres. And we talk constantly about what we're doing. I'm surrounded by about 400 acres of like prime whitetail habitat. And so my objective has always been, all right, how can I turn this small plot into the honey hole? How can, what do, what do I, how can I make this what the other properties don't have? Right. I can't, I can't grow mature hardwoods by October, but what can I do? Right. Um, And then Perry, you know, in their situation, they've been battling all sorts of invasives and, you know, creating, uh, I'm thinking about all those, those olives that you got Perry and other issues that you guys have run into and have been addressing for your whitetail habitat. And it's funny to think like, you know, similar situations, but like you would have a wildly different approach to each, each of these properties, Austin. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's, that's part of what makes this fun is, you know, could, you know, putting our brains together, you know, and, and seeing what we can do to make the most of the property that we've got, you know, like you say, create a little, little bit of a honey hole and, and make it a property that the deer want to use more often than maybe your neighbors. And, you know, but it could be very simple changes, you know, and then also sometimes it needs very, very big changes, you know, depending on the property, but you know, you can make simple changes and just create something that makes that buck want to stick onto your property a little bit longer, you know, and maybe create more daylight movement on your property a little bit longer to, to give yourself that opportunity. And it could be as simple as you hunted it better than your neighbor's. Hey, y'all, I'm going to take a second to give a quick shout out to the official mortgage lender of the Hunt With Deep podcast. That's Casey Burns of Prime Lending Mortgage. I've known Casey for 10 years, and he's the only lender I use. I've used Casey to purchase two houses, and the process has been seamless and easy each time. He's the heart of an educator, and he truly cares about what's best for his clients. He specializes in VA loans, but can handle FHA, conventional investment loans as well. He's a true expert and specialist in his field, and there's no one I recommend more than Casey. You can contact Casey at casey.burns at primelending.com. Reach him by phone at 919-710-1864. You can also check out all his reviews at www.closewithkc.com. Thanks, y'all. 
hunted it hunted it smarter hunted it more efficiently you know didn't didn't have that unneeded pressure weren't weren't in there on the days where you know where things weren't right and and again going back to it if you're a new hunter then these are you know these are questions that you don't know to ask and these are things that you don't you know know to think about and you know they're we've all we've all had missed opportunities uh at you know nice deer <laughs> from making yeah. dumb mistakes yeah, yeah and you know that's the big thing with with public land is you know is i'm not just trying to you know harvest this buck that's incredibly smart and is an expert at survival but with public land being hunted the way it's hunted and more mobility and and pe people are getting to places that they never used to it's really up to you to just hunt better you're really just trying to out hunt the other guy and if that buck is staying on property it's because he's learned to survive on that property and he's he's got it figured out and most of the time he's got you pegged before you even get an opportunity or even know he's there. So, so, you know, how can your system be streamlined so much better than the net next guys that you are the one that gets that opportunity at that deer where he he's close, but he, he doesn't get that opportunity at that buck that you did. Same, same approach can is t taken into to private. You know, you can take that exact same approach. The best part is that you're not necessarily having to deal with as the, the hunting competition um, in the property. It's you've got your neighbors that you have to deal with, obviously, but same idea, hunting the same, hunting the same buck. You know what I mean? He just, he crosses your boundary, but you hunted him better than your neighbor did and smarter and and you were the one that ended up with that opportunity. Yeah, that's 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 huge, man. And we've we've tried to we've been trying to do some of that on on our piece of, of private land recently because, you know, as Carter alluded to, um this it's a family farm that we've we've had forever. My brother and, and Luke and I, um, we've all been hunting out there our entire lives. But in, in more recent years we've started having you know, somebody's come up there. Uh, Carter's been up there, and, and a number of the other team members from Hunt Lift Eat, all bringing different perspectives, all bringing different you know sets of experience, um, all bringing different tactics that they employ, all bringing different systems. You know, I I only recently got you know a quote unquote mobile system when I started hunting public land. You know, just a couple years ago. And it's completely changed the way I hunt that piece of property now. Now I find myself in a saddle hanging on the side of a tree somewhere in a place that I've never sat before more often than I find myself sitting in one of our preset stands on the farm um, just because it's, it's changed my approach. Yeah, that that's awesome. And that, that's the, the, the cool part about, about it too, is it, it's, just like you said, bringing that new perspective, you know, and, and I see a lot of times guys sit the same tree stand, you know, for, for years and, you know, they've got the bucks there, the deer are there, but they're not showing up during daylight. And, you know, you might kill a buck every other year or every two years out of the stand that kind of, so it kind of keeps you wanting to go back. But, you know, if you would shift, you know, back a couple hundred yards back to this, this little pinch point back here, back to this this 
scrape that they've got hidden in the thick stuff. You know what I mean? Stay, stay mobile, go back there, and you, but you go back there once and you time it just right and you go back there once and, and there he is. So when you're looking at these properties, Austin, what would you say are like your, what's like your top three indicators that you're looking for when you're, when you're on these properties? Like, what do you, what stands out to your mind instantly as like, okay, boom. Um, are you ta talking about like that overall deer movement or size of deer or what, what do you mean? Deer, uh, let's say deer movement. Deer movement, um, poop is a big one. Honestly, um, if the if if they if a deer is standing around long enough, it feels comfortable enough to poop. That they're there. That that's your spot. That that's a big tell for me. If if you're finding it, it areas that go, you know, you got tracks and they're moving through, and there you can tell the deer are there, but there's no scat the deer are not hanging around. They're just moving through. That's a really so, good so, point. So, so if, if, That's amazing. if they're <laughs> just, you just described my Ohio hunt this year in a nutshell, <laughs> because deer, tra deer trails, deer prints, rubs, scrapes, scrapes in December in Ohio. Yep. And I, I kept telling Josh, the guy I was with, man, I'm just not seeing any scat. Like I'm not seeing any, any droppings. And sure enough, they just, they weren't there. They Very weren't there. <laughs> They're not there. And that, that, that tells me what scrape to hunt too. Yep. If, if I've got, if I've got a series of five scrapes in about a hundred yard radius of each other, and there's one or two scrapes on this, a lot, a lot of times if it's two scrapes, it's on the same tree. It's like 10 feet, feet away. Those two scrapes are the ones that have the scat in it. Those are the two that I'm hunting. Mm. Be, be that, those are the two that I'm putting my camera on. And immediately you get pictures immediately you're seeing deer and that for whatever reason, they're using that, that scrape rather than another, another scrape. And it might not be any particular reason. It's just that that's, that's what they're using. So, so, you know, and they feel comfortable enough to hang out there long enough to leave scat. So that, that's a big tell for me of how comfortable deer feel in a specific area. And a lot of times it will coincide with active scrapes and daylight scrapes too. And, you know, you also find, you know, good rubs as well in the area. It kind of, it all goes together, you know, once you find a few, one or two things, then you start opening your eyes and looking more and you find a few other of these puzzle pieces and then you can fit that ridge to get gather. But yeah, that's a huge one that I look for is how comfortable a deer feels is whether they're going to sit, stand there long enough and leave scat on the area. Dude, it makes so much sense. I'm not going to poop anywhere where I don't feel comfortable or safe. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Makes total sense. <laughs> I never thought about that. <laughs> that's cool. Do you use, so like what, uh, what apps do you use to help you out? Do you use Onyx? Do you use something else? I use Onyx. Um, I've used Onyx for ever, a long time. So I've I've got so many waypoints on that. Yeah, on dude, that I bet thing. your Onyx is insane. 
Oh my gosh. You should see it. I, it per property. Like I, I'll, yeah. I'll get out and I'll just do some, some postseason scouting. And next thing you know, I've got like a hundred waypoints yeah. on this thing. It's like, I'll zoom in. I can't even hardly see the map anymore. Cause I've got so many daggum waypoints on the map. So I'm like, okay, I got to thin this out a little bit. This is, and then sometimes too, if I'm hunting a property, you know, for multiple years, I'll have waypoints from three years ago on that map. And I'll just start, I'll just collect them. Next thing you know, I've got, a boatload of waypoints on that thing. So I just had to kind of go through and weed out sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> what would you, I was thinking about this earlier today. Cause I knew you'd have a crap ton of them. What do you think your most used like symbol for waypoints is on these properties? Probably scrapes because that's the biggest thing I look for. You like scrapes. Yes. I, I I'm a huge scrape hunter Okay, and, um, um, I'll also use trail symbols where I find converging trails or super heavy trails. I'll also use that. And then rubs where I find significant rubs. I don't mark every rub because a, de- a deer can easily pass through runts, rub a tree, and, and he'll never visit that area again. So it's only significant rubs that I'm going to really mark. And, and, you know, that's on major trees, maybe trees that have been rubbed for multiple years, um, trees that are really rubbed up high, you know, cause that, that also tells me how big a deer is. Most of the time you can't tell the size of a buck uh, just by the, how the diameter of the tree, but you can tell how bit big he is by how high he's touching on that tree. So, so because he'll accidentally touch on that tree taller than young bucks will. So he'll just leave little scrape marks, you know, about chest high, where, where the, the majority of the rub is quite a bit lower because he's got his head dropped low rubbing the tree. But he'll accidentally leave marks on the tree that are chest high. That's what I'm looking for. It's like, okay, there's a mature deer in this area, and he's using it actively. And a lot. And if I find multiple rubs in the same area, I'll mark it because I'm like, okay, what's the reason? Like a lot of times when I'm finding rubs on public, there's a reason that they're in that specific area. And that big buck is not necessarily leaving rubs everywhere on the property. I'm only finding those significant rubs super close to bedding typically. So that, so I'll mark that and know that I need to be looking for something close to that area. And then I'll really dive into even looking at the map even closer while I'm on property. Say, okay, is there a tiny detail on this map that I might be missing that now that I know where to look for it, maybe I can find it. You know what I mean? And, and then two, I'll go back and I'll look at all those wet waypoints and I'll see a pattern to, to the move. I'll see lines, you know, and then when you find those multiple lines converging, boom, there's something there. There's a mm-hmm. reason for it. So, um, yeah, I definitely would say probably the scrape I use more often than anything just because that's what i tend to key in on a little bit more and then i'll leave um i'll mark the main oak trees or if there's another mast tree that is significant like persimmons or or anything else honestly that the deer are eating um but yeah predominantly the scrape i'd say dude you're like a deer detective austin <laughs> You're like working this puzzle in your head and like figuring out like <laughs> how it all goes together. And, you know, I feel like you're playing Clue, like you're trying to figure out who did it in what room with what weapon. And 
<laughs> that's where I'm putting my tree stand. That's cool. That's seriously kind of how it feels sometimes. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. awesome. Like seeing all the numbers and, and waypoint symbols up above your head while you're thinking it through. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It, 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 if you saw my Onyx, you'd totally get it, dude. <laughs> that's, that's cool. A, yeah, that's awesome, man. You, uh, you mentioned you mentioned postseason scouting now is you know now as we sit here mid-january it's that time of year i'm assuming i'm assuming that factors uh pretty heavy into your into your process as you're as you're both um you know getting out there on public land for yourself and and checking out new areas and also you know helping helping your clients develop these these plans walk us through a little bit of, of what your postseason scouting looks like what you're looking for um, when's the, when's the right time to, to get in there and, and really start diving into trying to figure out what these deer are doing after, after, you know, after we all go home for the season. Oh yeah. Postseason scouting. If I could narrow down one singular thing that I, I put my entire process on other than actually executing the hunt, um, it's the postseason scouting. That is when I build my plan. I I've said for years that, I, I kill my deer in March. You know, I kill my deer from January through April. That's when I kill my buck. Yep. I just need to, and then I just wait for him to show up in October. So, so that, that's my plan is I want to go in, I want to find everything, everything on that property that matters. I want to find it because I can't put, cover that kind of ground during season or I'm going to completely blow out that property. Right. That's what I think a lot of people miss too is during season, they try to cover the property in this manner and they end up blowing out the property. And so like, this is your time. This is your time to go through that bedding area, to look at every single detail that, that, that those deer are leaving for you and then map it and figure, and then really see that then the clues come together. You know what I mean? So like, I want to, that deer might not be there in September, but he's going to be there in October. And then I'm going to be there waiting for him, you know? So my, the, my, my tree stand will be set early. If I'm set, if I'm leaving a tree stand, I'll, I'll have it set early. That camera, that camera may be on a specific scrape. That's not even open yet, but I know it's going to be open come October. Right. So I'm going to set it early. It's going to be waiting. And then then beginning of October hits, Boom. There he is. He's here. You know what I mean? Or, or the doe's open it up and I'm like, okay, here it is. I, I'm already there waiting for him is basically my, my goal. And, and also as a public land hunter, my goal also is to have a massive inventory of properties because there's too much that I can't control on this. Yep. And, and if I don't have, you know, plan f and plan h in place then i i their mind this might be the season where i don't fill my tag you know what i mean i might be eating tag soup this year just and it has nothing to do with my overall preparation on that property it just something happened that was out of my control and i did not have a fallback plan on it and you know i've i've had that happen in the past where i put all of my chips into one bag and that property got hammered that season and the deer completely left. Like everything dried up, scrapes dried up, rubs dried up. You quit finding scat. Nothing was there. The deer just, you just didn't see the deer. 
So like I've had that happen in the past and that was, you know, that's the last time I, I swore that was the last time I was going to get burnt like that. So, <laughs> so my, my goal now is just to cover, cover ground. And, you know, I put the significant scrapes and rubs, find the bedding areas, the main feed trees and food plots, anything and everything that matters, I am marking it on my map. And then when the season comes and I put my in-season scouting in, I could be so direct on my access and go to the scrape. So say I, I go on property and I have three scrapes I'm interested in. Instead of wandering around looking for these scrapes, I go directly to that scrape. Okay, it's not fresh. It's not open yet. Leave. Go to the other scrape. Boom. This one's fresh. Boom, set up. And I'm hunting. Mm. So it's it's just I can be so precise with my in-season scouting and then I know, okay, this property is not hot right now. I need to actually leave this property and go to my second property. And that, that's just, it helps me be so precise because we have so much more time to scout than we do to actually hunt that I want to take advantage of that time to scout and create an inventory of spots and, and properties that I, I'm always moving and, and making sure I'm on fresh movement. Yeah, and to what that, you're saying. Okay, go ahead, Bree. Well, I was, I was just gonna say. And to that end, it, it sounds like, um, it sounds like you've got a pretty mobile setup yourself. I'm assuming that's also a, a, a big factor in kind of developing this this strategy or this style of of attack that you've developed for for public land. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know that that's taken some time to figure out. And obviously, there's always more you know perfecting of the set setup and making it making sure it's quiet quick compact and and definitely light you know and i'm a self-filmer so that also means that i'm carrying twice as much gear into the woods that i typically would if i was just hunt hunting so that also makes a big deal into what i carry on my back you know and and you know, getting in early that way I get set up and making sure my setup and not have a lot of metal on metal clanging around. And, and th this year was a big year for, for me in the saddle. Actually th this year I shot my first deer out of the saddle this year and I've used it, used the saddle off and on for the last couple of years, but I I've been playing with it and haven't been completely sold on it and just couldn't get comfortable with my knees and feet. And finally something clicked this year. And I think it was the fact that I knew that I would not be able to successfully hunt this property in Kansas from a tree stand just because I could not get the cover that I needed where out of a saddle, I was good. So it's like, okay, listen, the deer is, the deer's here. I got a buck I'm after, but I'm getting bust in a tree stand. I have to saddle hunt this. So we've got to figure it out. And then it just, it just clicked it this year. And, and I got, I was comfortable with all day sits in the saddle and, and ultimately if I, I don't know that I would have shot that buck this year, if I was from a tree stand, it would have been close, but I'm not a hundred percent sure that I would have ended up with that deer. If I was from a tree stand, I think I would have got busted. What was, what was the, uh, what was the one or two little minor minor tweaks that you made to to your saddle setup because i've i've um i've been using the saddle past couple of years myself um for the most part like it um but i like say i never i was never big into mobile hunting with with you know 
climbers or anything else before that. So uh, I don't have that much to compare it to. So, um, and then I, I, I want to hear the, uh, you know, a little bit of the, the, the story of this Kansas buck, man. Cause that was a, that was a cool deer. Yeah. That, that was a, that was a fun season chasing him. So probably the one biggest thing I would say is I started using a ring of steps versus a platform predominantly. So, so I, I have a, a small um, wild edge perch platform that I use. And then, uh, then I just put a couple steps on either side of it and created a ring of steps. And that ultimately led to a ton of comfort. I was just, it, it set me different in the tree. It, it put my legs and my feet into a slightly different position that actually helped significantly with my comfort. And um, something else too, I have a, um, a back strap um, that I got from te- Tethered is the one I got. And rather than putting it around my back, I, lo- I, I had it in my carabiner of where my bridge was and I looped it underneath my knees and um, on my hamstrings and I just tightened it up, which lifted my knees. Just, it, it created a little bit of a cradle for my legs. So, so I could l- lean my knees up against the tree and not fight my knees from kicking out it, that, that backstrap just kind of cradled my, my legs and I was able just to relax into the tree and, and I just kind of kept going back and forth like that. So those two things right there, that, that really helped significantly. Yeah. It's amazing how those little minor modifications can, can make all the difference on the, especially on an all day set. I, I got that same back panel from tethered this year and I, I found myself leaning, you know, more than sitting. And, but again, yeah. I don't, I, I didn't use it, you know, way up high under my, you know, arms or kind of upper back. I, I put it down more on my lower back and, kind of to create that like double panel style saddle because my saddle single panel. Um, and I found that it really, you know, it doesn't really affect my movement and ability to, to come to draw and especially mm-hmm. come to draw quickly. And it, it allowed, it just gave me that little extra bit of, of comfort that, that makes the difference. Yeah. And, and um, the ring of steps really helped with leaning significantly it just, it set my feet into a much better position and, um, it was so much more comfortable and I actually ended up leaning a lot more than sitting as well. It just was so, so comfortable that I was, I was quick to move as well. You know, I had that ability to walk around that ring of steps and get around that tree if I needed to get around it. Were you running fully, uh, a saddle this year too, Perry? Uh, yeah, for for the most part. Um, but yeah. What would you both say? Uh, I'm, I'm still, I haven't bitten the bullet and and dove into the saddle hunting world yet. Uh, I mean, are we going to give it a thumbs up or thumbs down or, uh, a thumbs medium? (laughs) So I guess I'm going to put it real, real simple with this. It's that I found that. You can kill deer out of a saddle that you might not be able to kill deer out of a tree stand, but it doesn't work vice versa. Fair there, there, there might there, there might be certain deer that survive out of a tree stand that won't survive out of, if out of a saddle, but I haven't found that it would work vice versa. Right. 
that makes sense having not spent as much time in in climbers or or um or you know lock-ons um that are that are designed more more mobily but I, I can see that um i do i am tempted to to buy myself a nice lightweight um you know lock-on or, or maybe even a climber just to just to try it out a little bit more the little bit that i've dabbled i mean they're comfortable but you know my experience is when i'm when i'm trying to find that tree you know what i'm looking for is where can i find that spot where the deer aren't going to see me and they're not going to see my yep. movement and if you're self-filming that becomes obviously extremely critical and knowing that you're not limited by your your gear and that you can for the most part climb you know anything that's that's large enough diameter to hold you up there um is pretty nice so you know in general i'm i'm a thumbs up but again i don't i don't have yeah. a whole lot of experience with the alternatives i would agree it's a thumbs up for me especially after this year and and you know i'm gonna tap on to what you just said too you're you're not limited as to what tree you can get in i know for sure i've set in trees in my saddle that i don't know that i could sit in in a, in a tree stand or and if i did it would be very interesting <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and clearly it worked based on that buck that you killed in, in kansas right that's a oh, absolutely. Good, that's a pretty good testament. <laughs> a- absolutely. And that that was yeah, that that was a that was a crazy hunt. And you want me to go on into that? Dude, I want to hear about it. I know you've talked about it before, but I want to hear it from you. Let's do it. So, um I started getting pictures of that dude in September, and um this property was slightly different. You know, I wasn't able to do my postseason scouting on this property. So th- this year I had to rely solely on camera intel and um, in-season scouting. And I got started in August with the summer and found these scrapes and started putting together a little bit of a pattern. And started n- noticing this big 10 point was a re- regular in this area. And there's a, a few scrapes and a few ridge tops that he was using. And, um, you know, um, about a month and a half into it, I found a spring actually back there in the ridges. And as you know, we went through this drought th- this year where most of the water on this particular property was off the ridges, was down in the bottoms. You know, they had to kind of expose themselves to get to the water. So this specific um, spring up there was in the up hidden in the ridges, and that's where all this movement was centered around. So it made sense where, why I was finding what I was finding and what I was seeing. And, um, it's very interesting to, to get set up. You know, I started hunting with my tree stand the first, I think two or three sits up there. I was, I was hunting out of my tree stand. I got an ultralight lock on as well. And I was having trouble. I was getting busted. I just could not find the trees to get hidden in. And so it, right then I knew I had to saddle hunt it. So I switched over to my saddle and I started seeing the luck I was seeing. I needed to see, I was able to hide, um, and get up in some trees I needed to get in. And, and this, this deer, it turned out that he, he stayed on one particular ridge. He had about three different parts of this ridge that he was daylighting on. And he was a regular, it was always on the ridge with that spring. And it was only on some kind of southern wind. He never showed up on a northern wind or anything like that. He was always on some kind 
of Southern Wind. So I got enough pictures of him to put that little bit of a pattern together. Even at nighttime, you know, he was still kind of doing the same thing, but especially during daylight, he only daylighted during some kind of Southern Wind. So once I put that together, I'm like, okay, dude, here it is. Like we're getting into the rut now. Now we're getting into November. I've got some intel on him and, and, and we're good to go. So I hunted um, Missouri's opening weekend of rifle with the guys and immediately left on Sunday to head that down to um, head that over to Kansas for a Monday hunt. And going into that Monday hunt, um, I found this particular adjustment tree the weekend prior to this. I've had my camera on a specific scrape for months and then that scrape dried up. But walking in there one morning the weekend prior, I, I knew I wanted to take this ridge top and just check it out. And I found a couple ultra fresh scrapes that I didn't know existed. They had just shifted their scrapes about 60 yards, right? So I, I, I didn't go to the tree I was planning on. I just hunted this, this new tree and set it out, saw a bunch of deer. I moved my camera over. I immediately got a picture of him when I checked it that Monday and, and the weather was perfect. So I had a South wind, a Southern wind for the first half of the day on Monday and then it was turning to a North. So I was like, okay, let's hunt this side of the Ridge for the first half of the day. And then let's adjust over to the other side that I was getting movement on, on North winds, but with a different buck. So let's, let's hunt this in the morning, saw a bunch of deers that, that perfect chilly morning, dead calm. I mean, the de deer were moving and had a good young buck come in, work the scrape right in front of me. I mean, it was 10 yards in front of my tree. It, it was right on top of me. And it was cool because you could tell he knew something. A bigger de deer was there. He was very uneasy at the scrape, but he wasn't looking in my direction and the wind was not blowing in his direction. So I knew it wasn't me. It was, it, he smelt something else that was at the scrape. And then I think maybe an hour later, I had a hot doe come through. Actually, she, she was squatting and peeing and then she, she walked over to the scrape, worked the scrape a bit. So that was super cool getting her in and right. And then I'm, like, I'm not moving now. Like this is, this is where I'm at all day now. Like <laughs> in the I just had a hot doe. Yeah. I yeah. just had a hot doe walk 10 yards in front of my stands. So like, no, yep. I'm not moving. That's the spot. <laughs> so, so he came through, I saw, I saw a deer coming, um, maybe 45 minutes after she came through and it was him. The closer he got, I finally saw through the, the brush that it was him coming through. And, um, I mean, awesome looking 10 point, nice wide deer. He's, he stopped and smelt her for li where she peed for a li little while. And, and he was kind of being wishwashy on me, which direction he was going to come in. So you know, as a self filmer, you kind of got to guess sometimes as to where, where to set a camera up and go from there. And he acted like he was going to come in a little bit more to my left and then come into my stand to, to in front of the brush. Right. So I set my camera up and I drew, you know, he's 30 yards away. So I, I'm pushing my, my distance here with getting busted if I do much more movement. So I set up and I drew and he stopped and then stayed behind the brush and then continued behind the brush directly in front of me. And, and, cleared at the scrape which is 10 yards in front of me Charlie. so so i so, so I, i'm I, so i'm at full draw for like 45 seconds and and just just tracking him along you know moving around the tree in my saddle 
and my camera was in the way now so at full draw I, I have to push my camera Trying over out of over. the way <laughs> yeah yeah at, at, nudge it over out of the way to so not only you know hopefully get this deer now to get the shot on camera but just to get it out of my way so I can actually shoot this deer. <laughs> At <laughs> so, that point, man, so, heck with the camera shot. You just got to make the, the actual shot. <laughs> well, that, that that's where I was at. Like he's, he's like 15 yards away. I don't even know what the camera's doing right now. Cause I'm at full draw. I'm not looking at my LCD screen. I'm just getting mm. it out of the way so I can shoot this deer. <laughs> and so, so l- l- luckily I pointed it enough in the direction that I got a good, you know, got, got him on film and got, got some good footage, but, I was just trying to get out of my way and he cleared, he cleared the brush at this scrape at about 10 yards in front of me and gave me a, a quartering two shot. And, and I just, I put it in, got it, got a perfect lung shot. And I mean, he was done in 60 yards. He didn't, he didn't go anywhere. Come on. So I was, <laughs> and I, and then too, um, I didn't, I didn't realize this for about 20 minutes after I shot him cause I was so pumped up, but my trail camera was on that scrape and it oh, was on video cool. and it was on video mode. Oh man. So, so I got the shot on camera on my trail camera. Oh dude, dude I need, I need you to send that to me. I need to see that. <laughs> that <laughs> I'll, I'll send it to, to oh, you. That, that's awesome. That, that reel shoot that reel on Instagram went over 400,000 views. So that was part of the, <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that was part of the coolest thing I, I've, I've captured on, you know, on film, much less on trail camera. I, I was super pumped once I figured, once I realized that my trail camera was rolling during that whole thing, like sweet, like that, that's going to be some cool footage if I really got some good angle there (laughs) and it turned out perfect, man. (laughs) That's so awesome, man. Yeah. So yeah, that, that was a, that was a fun season long journey. Um, kind of getting to know him and putting together a little bit of a pattern for him. You know, public land, we don't always get the opportunity to actual, actually pattern a deer. Right. So getting getting that opportunity to to do that was really cool to experience and to actually, you know, chase a deer see, you know, throughout the entire season on this public ground and, um, you know, not mess it, you know, working on not messing it up, hoping another hunter doesn't mess it up, and then figuring out how I can end up putting him in the bed of the truck. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, awesome, man. man. Yeah, I'm you, looking at this buck on your page right now. What a stud! <laughs> he, deer, he really man. was great deer. He, he aged out at seven and a half, oh, so wow. he was a very mature deer. That's an old deer. Wow. That's awesome, man. Well, Austin, we're rolling up over an hour here, man, and I didn't get to half of the list of things I wrote down, so. <laughs> Ike, we're going to have to have you on for another episode, man, if you're down. I'm down. Absolutely, guys. Heck yeah, man. I know Perry could talk habitat management with you for about 50 hours over the course of a couple beers, I'm sure, too. Oh, Oh, 100%. I got my... I got yeah. my podcast whiskey here and there you go. <laughs> oh, yeah. Me and absolutely <laughs> me and the the owner Luke we're we're dumb. We're doing seventy five hard right now and so neither of us are on the booze right now and I'm regretting yeah. it. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's we'll all have good. to have you back on, man. We uh we'd love to have you back on. Um talk some more detail. 
Um, where can not only where can we find you on social media, but one, where can we go watch this deer that you just talked about? Where can we go do that? So, um, that video is on YouTube. So I built two videos around this deer. I built the opening weekend trip with him. And then I, I, I built a full season breakdown of this buck. So, so he, he's on YouTube. Look up and you know, it's my Kansas deer this year. And, and you can watch both of those videos. You can see how the week, the opening weekend went It fought, followed with a trip out there to Kansas on Monday. And then also, you know, I, I, put together that full kind of educational breakdown as well so that there's more to it than just watching the trip per se. Uh, I wanted to add a little bit more of the, the why, (laughs) what, 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 how did it all, how did it all go down? And that that's what that, that breakdown video is for. And, um, that that's on my YouTube tactical approach outdoors. Sorry, I didn't mention that tactical approach outdoors on YouTube. Um, you can also find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at tactical approach outdoors. And if you're, if you want to look up my other services, you know, my deer hunter Academy, my consulting services, and you want to get a little, little bit more information about who I am and what tactical approach outdoors is, is all about. You can look up my website at tactical approach outdoors.com. And don't ever hesitate to send me a message. I'm I'm all ears to answer questions and and you know talk to as many folks as I can. That's what I'm. That's why I created the business. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully, you know, listeners of this podcast will get plugged in with you, man. And you're accepting. Um, I mean, you're you're doing consulting right now, right? You're you're planning out your calendar for 2023 for for your consulting, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm getting things scheduled out for that. And, and obviously with it being postseason scouting driven, you know, I've got to get it done before the green up really yep. hits, you know, but you know, I'm, I'm not limited as to when I'll get that fired back up, you know, come December and, and whatnot. So yeah, absolutely. Don't ever hesitate to reach out to me and, and ask me questions about, about the service and I'm getting things scheduled. So it's going to be a fun spring. I'm pretty pumped. I love it, man. I hope it's a busy, yeah. busy schedule for you. Perry, you got any closing thoughts for us? Yeah. Uh, no, I just really appreciate you coming on Austin. I, I think, um, I think that that gap that we talked about you bridging between, you know, applying, applying years of that public land hunting knowledge to the private landowner and getting that fresh perspective. Um, I, I just think that's, I think that's really cool. So, um, keep up the good work, man. Congrats on a, on an awesome deer there in Kansas. And, uh, yeah, definitely want to chat with you again. So appreciate it. Absolutely. I, I appreciate you guys having me on. I really enjoyed the chat and I'm definitely looking forward to the next. Heck yeah, man. Absolutely. Well, yeah, we appreciate the education that you're doing. Sharing knowledge in any facet is always a noble cause, man. So we appreciate it. Austin. Looking forward to next time, man. And listeners, as always, we appreciate the hell to you guys. We'll talk to you guys next week.